Let's have a word of prayer first, if we could. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to share something about my life, life of my wife, and my grandchildren as well. Well, we thank you for being with us for all these years, and we just pray that uh, what is shared tonight might be to your honor, your glory. There might be some challenge for us in, in what I say, and Lord, empower me by your Spirit to leave out which is not glorifying you, and that which would glorify you, help me to say. We just pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I, I uh, read two scriptures, for I'd like to say, uh, you might remember me from about a week ago, uh, I was the first uh, dingling. You've heard of the, the first Noel? Well, I was the first dingling. Uh, and you put it on my, on my, my, my lapel that day. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to read two verses, one in 2 Corinthians. It's one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You needn't turn to it. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That would be a, a good life verse for anybody, if you think about it. And the last one I want a very familiar verse in Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That's one of my memory verses. Um, I was very fortunate. I was born into a godly family. Um, uh, my, my family, both of my parents were born in Holland, uh, so they were, I was a first-generation American then. And my father, I was just telling my, my son-in-law before I came here, you guys don't know what I'm going to tell you, but my, my father was a little boy in, in Friesland in Holland, and somehow he fell into a canal, and he was screaming for, for help. And the canal was quite a bit lower than, than the, 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 uh, the dirt, I guess, or the, these, it was the, uh, quite a distance down to the water. And this, this old Dutch farmer heard him sc- screaming for help, and he, and he ran, ran to where my father was crying for help, and he reached his big hand down, and he saved my father's life. So I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. But uh, aside from that, uh, what I'm going to stress, be stressing tonight is the Lord's protection on my life in many, many situations, and all of us, I think, can relate to that. And as I was trying to think of what I would be saying for my testimony, I lived a long time, if you want to think about it. I don't think I'm an old man. I'm older, but I'm a young man, relatively speaking. You can ask my grandchildren. In fact, I'd like them to stand up if they could, please. Five of, five of the six are here tonight that are local. You can meet them later. I won't take any more time, but... They know who they are, and you can get to know them who they are. But uh, I was blessed with a, a godly family. Um, uh, my, my mother was 37 years old, almost 38 years old, when she was, uh, she was, she was uh, pregnant with me and gave me birth. My father was 43. So I was born kind of late to a, a couple that had gone through some uh, hard times. The Depression had been in that, in that era, and... Uh, 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 being Dutch, they had come from a foreign country, basically, so they had learned the language. And um, my my mother was taking care of her parents for for many years, and uh, and that consumed her life for a long time. And my father, he was kind of frustrated in his family. Uh, the emphasis was seemed to be on money, and he was so turned off by that uh, while he was growing up that he just he enlisted in the navy in the in the war, in the first World War. He was born in 1897, by the way, so that's a long, long time ago. This is my father now. 
and uh, went through the war, came back, and then married this lady, and then got saved at a tent meeting uh, in, in New Jersey. And uh, I don't know what happened, because I was not born yet, but uh, this, this lady must have been turned off by, by my father's Christianity. That's all I can say about it. I don't know anything about it. But anyway, that lady left my, my father and, and uh, ran off with some other man and left my father with uh, my two siblings. One of them was two and a half and one was one and a half. And he had to deal with that for 15 years. Never married for 15 years. Then he married my mother. Then he met my mother and, and uh, married her and... I was born about a year or so later, so here I am. So that's, that's how I got here, and uh, one of my earliest recollections, I was telling some of my grandchildren today, uh, that I was, because uh, if you think about it, what is your earliest recollection? Most of us can't remember. But my earliest rec- uh, recollection is that I, I was in, in the car, in the back seat of my car. By the way, I was an only child. My two siblings were out of the house, so I was an only child, basically. Uh, but by the time I came along, they were 17 and 18 and going off to college and so forth. So I was an only child. So I was about four or five years old at the time. And I'm in the back seat of the car and being an adventurous young man that I probably was and messing around with things like I shouldn't. I must have opened the back door and, and opened, messed around with the, the latch and opened the door. And then I fell out. The car was driving along and I fell out and onto the road. And I rolled around, I guess, and they're driving along. They didn't know I was gone. And then they, they realized, I don't know how much further, they realized that I was gone. <laughs> probably my mother realized, probably. <laughs> so they turned around and came back and picked me up. And my earliest recollection was being home, running up to the bathroom on the third floor, and looking in the mirror to see what I looked like because I, I felt terrible. I had all these scratches all over my face from having fallen. And that's how I remember. That was my first recollection. But um, I was, I was uh, in, in, a, in a meeting on a Sunday night, and it was the, the subject was the Lord's coming. And it so convicted me. I didn't want to be left behind. As a little boy, we all fear that, don't we, sometimes? And I didn't want to be left behind. So I asked my mother if I could get saved that night when I got home and she, she knelt by the bed with me and I received the Lord as a six-year-old. So how much do six-year-olds know about the Lord? Not, not very much. But I, I was so fortunate. I had two very godly parents and they, they uh, took me pretty seriously. It was just, just me. There was nobody else, just me. So I got all their attention. My father was a real stickler and he decided he was going to had me memorize half the Bible, you might say. It wasn't quite that bad. but So he had me memorizing Scripture. And uh, I must have memorized probably 600, 800 verses of Scripture by the time I was 8 or 9 years old. I was so fortunate because those verses are in my mind right now. And I thank the Lord for, for my father pushing me and pushing me. Not just, it had to be word perfect too. And I had to know the location, front and back. And he wasn't satisfied till I knew it perfectly. In fact, he... He took it upon himself to, to kind of do a dog and pony show with me. We went to different churches. I, I can't remember much about it, but I remember being there and in this little, these little churches. And he would have me come forward, and then he would give him hand signals. And I had to give the verse for the hand signal. And I think this was for God so loved the world, and among other things. So I was blessed with a uh, 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 good upbringing, and I became an avid reader of the scriptures. So long, first thing I was reading was probably the Bible. 
So I would read and read and read. I would write down what I, what I had read. I kept a record of what I read. And along the way, I, I realized my father had a real hang-up on a particular uh, a brother named George Mueller. Most of you probably have heard of him. What a story his life is. For, for, for those of you who don't know about his life, look into it. But anyway, he was my father's idol, or hero, if you want to call it that. And he read these stories of all these tremendous answers to prayer, what had happened to him and, and how much faith he had. And as a little boy, I was, I was moved to kind of emulate George Mueller. So I began to have, uh, and, I, and they would write it down. I had scores of answers to prayer as a little boy. And they would write it down. They were so impressed. They wrote it down. I wasn't even aware of it until years later. They were writing it down. I remember on one occasion, I, I had lost a penknife that my, that my mother had given me. She said, Peter, don't you take it out of the house. Well, what do you think I did? I took it out of the house into a nearby field, big field, I mean, big, really high grass, maybe this high, and I lost a penknife in the field. So what, what did I do? I think, oh, the Lord's going to help me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me find this, because if I get home without that, without that knife, I mean, I'm going to hear about it and more than hear about it. When my father comes home, he's going to probably beat me or something. So... I remember praying about it, and, and uh, I, I couldn't find it. So I went home, and my mother was angry with me. But I kept praying, and, and I, I, I went back the next day, and I said, Lord, please let me find this, this penknife. And I found it. But the Lord helped me find it. So that, I thought, what an answer to prayer. And that was the beginning of a lot of answers to prayer as a child. And I have, I have to begin to tell you that those of you who are parents, particularly the mothers, the mothers here, really encourage your children to, to pray and expect God to do things beyond the normal. Because then they get a, a taste of what God can do. And I got a little taste of that from, from time to time. At, say, at one point, my father decided uh, uh, there was a brother in Georgia named David Brinkman. Does that name sound familiar to anybody? But this is a long time ago, so I wouldn't think you'd know. But anyway, he was a, a, an evangelist that went all over the South in Georgia and Tennessee putting up uh, big signs like prepare to meet thy God, uh, for God so loved the world, etc. I and mean, he did that. And my father got, in, got the idea that, that uh, because he talked to this David Brinkman, who was a, a, the worker, I guess, in uh, Augusta, Georgia it was, that he would go down to Georgia and they were going to set up a public address system that could be put on our car. And that we would take this PA system back to New Jersey. And my father would go out and, and use this and, and uh, have preaching services as much as where, wherever he could go. So we traveled to Georgia. And I remember that yet. And uh, uh, it was quite rigorous, too. He, he, was a, he was German background, very dictatorial, as it turned out. <laughs> that, and he made us all get in the car. And my mother was there, my father and me, of course. And we went all over the place, putting up these signs, and, and uh, we would go down the road throwing tracks out the window, and we would stop, and, and, and Mr. Brinkman would preach, and my father and I and my mother would go out, and his wife would go out and give tracks out, talk to people. So I, I began to get a sense of, of, of what the Lord could do, and a sense of, of urgency about evangelism and being a witness. Uh, I remember one time, I, I remember it yet, I was in, uh, then we went back home with this PA system on our car, and I forgot, as we were going along, we would be preaching, and, and my mother would throw things out the window, and so would I, as my father drove, drove the car, of course, 
And then he would stop at different uh, little towns along the way, and then I learned to use the equipment while he was preaching with his microphone, and he preached some pretty pretty tough sermons, uh, a little bit of hellfire, I think. Uh, I remember him talking about the days of Noah and what would be coming if people didn't repent. And, and I, I learned some things about, about the Word of God and, and watching my father do these things. And then we, went, we got back to New Jersey, and we were going to do the same thing there. And we went to a particular a very uh, low-income place. And I remember it was really a, a sordid place. And I remember yet, I, was a, I, was not, I must have been 10, yeah, 10, 12 years old. And I was, pretty, I was getting pretty aggressive at that point, too, with some of this. So I remember I walked up to this house. It was a dilapidated house. And in the, and in the doorway was this old lady sitting there. Look, she so looked so shabby and forlorn. And she's sitting in the, uh, in the doorway, looking like she lost everything. You know, and I went up to her with a tract, and I started talking to her about the Lord. And I can remember how I felt when I, when I left talking with her. And while I'm talking to her, I heard this music from the church, a little church a couple blocks away. They were singing a, some gospel songs. But I remember it really began to touch me, the, the personal evangelism, one-on-one, talking to somebody about the Lord. And I saw my father doing it. And, uh, and I think that's carried over for, for almost my entire life. But uh, a couple of events happened that, that colored what, what I became later. I figured out at some point uh, I, I was fairly good at drawing things. And in my classes, they would have me uh, at Christmas time. I, w- I, would, I would paint uh, uh, reindeers and Christmas stuff up on, on the windows of the school. And I got kind of used to doing that, and I got a little, you know, it was nice. got some flattery from my fellow students. It made me feel good about what I was doing. Um, but then I found out, I did that the second year, and I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm putting some grass on, a, on a, a scene. And I found out, it was a brutal thing to me at the time, that I was colorblind. Here, I was painting orange grass on the, I didn't know it was orange. I'm colorblind. I thought it was green. I'm painting this, and the teacher came up and said, Peter, what, what are you doing? I said, well, what am I doing? I'm painting grass. But that's not grass. That, that's, that's orange. I said, orange? Yeah. And it was really it was confusing to me. And it kind of shut me down as far as me drawing again and doing some of the things publicly. You know, I, I, I was just, I kind of went into a shell. And it wasn't uh, much further than that, and I, I began to have a stuttering problem. Now, some of you might think, well, what, you have a stuttering problem? But, boy, I had a stuttering problem. And my father couldn't handle it. My mother couldn't handle it. And for probably through the rest of grade school and through high school, I suffered with stuttering. And I, it got so bad that I would be asked a question, and I knew, I knew how to say, I don't know, real well, because I didn't want to stutter. And, and I, I missed out on a lot of stuff with sports and with other things because I, I was afraid. I had such fear, and I was going to stumble and start stuttering, and then I'd be embarrassed. So rather than doing that, I had to shut up. Uh, but the Lord was protecting me, and that, that's the good part about this. Um, uh, along the way, and, and this is encouragement for all of you too, my father and mother decided that summer camps would be good for me, and they were right. And uh, they sent me off to one of these camps and, uh, in Pine Bush, New York. And I remember I, I was kind of aggravated first, and I wrote home, you know, Peter Tortured Meyer. You know, I wrote home on a little postcard. 
because I, I really didn't like it there. But that was just one day. I got to like it afterwards. Sports happened. I started playing baseball. And, oh, this wasn't so bad after all, you know. So that was the beginning of me going to summer camp. And then uh, uh, there came a time where I met, I met this, young fam- this young family in Summit, New Jersey. Uh, I was generally the only uh, kid around most of the time. There's so many older people around. I was generally the only kid there. And my, my, they would take me every month to, to these meetings in Summit, New Jersey, and I heard some of the best preaching you'll ever want to hear as a young guy, the only one there, really, and listening uh, to some of the fantastic... John Smart was one of them, I remember. In fact, I thought he was kind of pompous at the time. That was my own opinion, but that, that's how I felt listening to him. Uh, but there was some just wonderful ministry, and that began to touch me as well. And then the older people would always be so nice to me. So that was, that was kind of nice, too. So every month we were going there for years. So finally, I met this family from New Massachusetts that were visiting. And then, uh, then the, 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 the urge was to go to New England because that's where this guy was from. So then we started going up to Camp Berea in New Hampshire. And that, was, that turned out to be uh, very much of, of the Lord. And before I got there, uh, it was, I was getting close to maybe 16 at that, that particular time, and, and I needed a job for that summer. So uh, I, I decided to work for the summer up there, and, and what a summer that was. It was just a wonderful, wonderful, this is 24 hours a day, six weeks, eight weeks for the whole summer. Dave Ward was one of the men up there in Groton, out of Groton, and godly men like, like uh, you wouldn't believe. Just And I was blessed by all of the exposure to all of that, plus the sports. I... I really enjoyed all of that, and I began to get more confidence in myself. My stuttering got a little bit better, and I think the Lord was, was preparing me, humbling me in a way, but yet he was preparing me. And uh, I also, during that time, I began to be, to be a little bit more enterprising as well, and that helped my stuttering problem as well. And you kids don't know this, but I, I, had, a, I had an egg route with my father. We would drive about 50 miles and pick up some uh, wholesale eggs from my cousin who had an egg business. And that was another Meyer up in New Jersey. And uh, Don Meyer was his name. And George was his partner at the time before they moved to Florida. And uh, I, we'd drive all the way up to pick up all these eggs. And then I had this trailer park. And I was going trailer to trailer selling eggs. And that was good for me because I, I, I learned to deal with people. And I was, I was getting over my problem. And uh, among other things, I sold a lot of magazines. I even got into the bird business. Um, I was selling parakeets. I was raising them and selling them. I was, I was mowing lawns. I was, I was uh, shoveling snow. But all of that led up to uh, getting close to my, uh, my college experience. Well, I didn't know where to go to college. My parents thought I should go to Wheaton, but that was expensive. And there's an old brother there. I don't know if any of you know him, Brother Rudell. Sound familiar at all? But there was an old brother there, very wise old man, and he, and he took me under his wing. And he, he was recommending, hey, why don't you go to Rutgers? Why don't you go stay in state? It's cheaper for your parents. And it's right down the, down the street practically. You can, you can commute. Hey, that's a good idea. So I, I, I enrolled at Rutgers University. Uh, and that was in 1958. Uh, by the way, I was... I was uh, I was living in Woodbridge, New Jersey at the time. I didn't mention the name of the town. New Brunswick was where Rutgers was, and I went there and started my Rutgers career. Uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship was one of the first things that that really helped me. Um, If any of you are going to college, look up either the Navigators or 
InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It'll help you get through some tough times where the world can't affect you quite as much if you've got other peers that you can pray with and spend time with. And the Lord, what a difference that made in college. My stuttering somehow disappeared by this time. It was gone. And I thank the Lord for that because I needed to start to become more vocal. Um, but what happened also is I enrolled. I had to decide about the military. And my father had a real thing about about the military. He thought I should be a conscientious objector. <clears throat> and I didn't agree with him. So my father and I had a real tussle over that. I decided, no, I was going to be an Army officer. I could have been an Air Force officer or an Army officer. I said, well, Army. I'm going to go Army. So I enrolled in the ROTC program. Again, with great. Uh, you know, he was very angry with me, but I, I was a... I was over 18. I made my decision, a very good decision. I, I spent four years, as well as other things, learning uh, what I was learning there. I, I majored in business administration, uh, and the Lord was dealing with me in, in many, many ways, and I had so many Christian friends on that campus. Uh, we met for, we had prayer every lunchtime. Every lunchtime we had prayer. And people got saved around us in our dorms. Uh, but meanwhile, I was commuting for three years you know, to college. So I missed out a lot on a lot of the, the campus activities, but I went to meetings and so forth. And then um, I also began going to Kenilworth Bible Chapel on weekends, which was not far from New Brunswick. And there I met uh, John Sharp, who was uh, George Sharp's son. And he was a freshman at Rutgers as well, and he ended up flunking out. And I stayed, and, but I, I began to go to Kellerworth. So that became, that became my, my open brethren um, outlet because I had, I forgot to say, while I was growing up, there was an exclusive meeting in town, a very tiny one, and my parents um, thought I should go there. So I went to the exclusive meeting for, for the whole time I was growing up. But they were sound in the scriptures. They were just a little bit... Uh, uh, let's say uh, restrictive in how they, they judged other Christians and I, I had a problem with that too at one point so going to Kellerworth was, was, was pretty important um, I would also go to uh, New England Young People's meetings I met a lot of people there that began to influence my life as well and my friend Peter Halbach he was the guy that I met in Summit that I went to Massachusetts for and he, uh, he's still my friend now in fact I talked to him just the other day he's, he's out in Washington, um, actually Oregon. He's been my friend since we were little kids, frankly. Um, so, so my as I got to the end of my college career, then uh, the um, the job situation opened up. What am I going to do? And I interviewed with about 20, 30 companies to see where I should uh, uh, begin my career and uh, it was such a challenging thing as a senior to do that and I'm glad I did it because it, it exposed me to so many things I even interviewed with uh, the CIA uh, I probably wouldn't have made a good spy I thought so but they didn't think so I guess so but, but I ended up um, uh, I, I, got, I got an offer from New Jersey Bell Telephone which was you, I, I couldn't refuse it it was a fantastic program and uh, where in five years' time you, you would be at, at a manager level. So I was very, very fortunate. I joined the company. At the same time, I got my, my bars on my shoulder from the Army. Uh, I was a distinguished military graduate, and thus I could choose my own corps. And I chose the Finance Corps. And a uh, tiny corps, we just paid troops and paid civilians. So that was a good job for me, not knowing what was involved. Um, so I, I left, uh, graduated, 
joined New Jersey Bell, and I began to work, and, and it was a, just a challenging job. I was the youngest of about 28 people that were picked from all over the Northeast to, 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 to be in their program. But because I was so young, I was so immature in, in uh, managing people. Who, who had I managed then? I was, I was just a young guy fresh out of college. So the program was good for me. I was in it for a little while, and then the deferments were over, and I couldn't get deferred anymore. And the war had started. It was about to start, and the, the Cuban Missile Crisis was occurring around that time. Most of you don't know much about that. Just it's a, it's a hidden memory almost. But that was 62, uh, where Florida might have been a, a scene of war at that particular time. Of course, I was in New Jersey. So, uh, so what, what I learned then, I, I then had to start my military career. So I, I went to Fort Benjamin Harrison to the, to the finance school, and the Lord began to humble me again. In the meantime, I had, I had met my, my future wife, not knowing she was going to be my wife. I had met her in the meantime. We kind of had a falling out before I went out to, to Fort Benjamin Harrison, and I was out there for about eight, eight weeks or so. And, and here I, I had a pride problem and didn't realize just how much of a problem it was. And I wanted to really excel. I wanted to be number one in my class. And my grandkids know what I'm going to say next. But I was, I was determined that I was going to really do well with the academic side. And, and this is going for eight weeks' time. And what the Lord was teaching me is this can be quite different from what you think. And I was studying this stuff and studying this stuff every night. I, would stu I was probably the only one doing this, I thought. Everybody else I was partying, and I'm there studying this f financial stuff. And I wasn't getting it. I thought I was, but I wasn't getting it. And I was taking the test, and then they had a scoreboard where every name, 35 names were there. And my name started going lower and lower and lower and lower. And I was really getting upset. Because not only wasn't I doing well, I was doing poorly. <laughs> and I was mad at myself, frustrated. In fact, I can remember, and I don't think I've ever told my grandchildren this, there came a time I was walking down to my BOQ to, to finish for the night, and I looked up, and there was a big water tower there. I thought, you know, you know, and I, I, maybe some demon put the thought, you know, you could jump off that tower, you know. I said, oh, come on, you know. But the thought was there. I was so frustrated because I wanted to do well. Well, anyway, the Lord was merciful. What I did do well at was, was weapons. I was the best in all the weapons which was amazing. But I ended up, the I was the 35th. I was last in my class. Last, absolutely dead last in my class. And at one point, I got so frustrated, I went to the chancellor. I said, look, can you get me out of here? Maybe I can be airborne ranger or something. Maybe this is not for me. He says, no, Peter, you just go back and finish up. We're sending you to Korea. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they sent me to Korea. I went to Korea, and I was at a finance officer base, uh, or dispersing section that paid uh, military people, troops, and also civilians. And they put me in charge of, of a bunch of Koreans, about, about 15 of them. And that was a great experience because I, I began to learn how to manage people. I was really in charge now, and these Koreans were, were very helpful to me, and they made me look good. And uh, they did their work real well, and I got the credit for what they did. And at the same time, I had arrived there in Korea, and again, talk about the Lord's protection. Uh, I, I was there. It wasn't, I wasn't there a week or two. And somebody came to my doorstep and knocked on the door. And here was Ron York from the, from the Navigators. He had found out that I had stopped at the Christian Servicemen Center in Seoul. 
And because I, I went there, as soon as I got there, I, I, I looked for a Christian emphasis, and I, found, and I, I knew Seoul was a place to go. So I went there, and there was a Christian service center there. And Mom and Pop Mincy, who were Pentecostals, but on fire for the Lord, because I think back they were really protecting me. And uh, they must have told Ron York, hey, this guy, this officer, he just got here. Go, go see this guy. So he came to see me, knocked on my door, and I met him. And that was the beginning of a, about a year and a half of him mentoring me, discipling me. I had never been discipled. All my time in the Brethren, nobody ever discipled me, really discipled me. So Ron York discipled me, and I began to learn skills I had not learned before. And I saw the Lord work in just innumerable ways. We would do things, and people would get saved right and left. And that creates a burning desire to see more of that. So I, I got really committed to a man-to-man work in my own mind. I thought, boy, that's the way to change the world is win people one-on-one. And then disciple them, and then they'll win another one. Like Second Timothy 2.2. Which, which talks about principles that we don't hear very much today. I see my time is fleeting, so I'm going to really rush ahead. When I was doing this, I figured, I mean, what could I, I start writing? I had four pages of what I could write. So I didn't know how to condense all of this. So I'm going as fast as I can, but I'm getting behind. Um, so then that the, the, the time was there was just a, it was probably one of the best times of my life looking back. It was just wonderful. I even extended my tour, which people don't do that. Extended? Are you kidding? We want to get out of here. They, they were short-timers putting X's on every day. They couldn't wait to leave once they got there. And I would have to say, too, the immorality there was, was incredible, just incredible. I saw firsthand what happens in a foreign country when soldiers go out to the village and, and do their thing and leave, people, uh, leave behind people that are, their whole life has changed. I saw little Korean boys with blue eyes. And those kids would go back in, in, into their culture and be rejected by their own people because some people couldn't keep their pants on, frankly. And I was turned off by that. But yet again, it was a, it was a missionary field. And I have to say, Ron York and I, we, we did a lot of work, and, and the Lord was blessing us. And I look back with such wonder and thankfulness because I learned so many good things. And I was a... A bright light in a dark place because the Lord was with me. He protected me, and I even got to I even got to go to the Olympics in Tokyo by extending in '64, and and I joined. I was the only military guy there, but there was about 30 businessmen from all over the country came with literature crusades. Um, Kevin Dyer was in charge, and Russell Van Ryan was in charge, or those two, and we gave out about a million pieces of literature to Japanese people in about a two week about about a week's period. Uh, so I, I, I had tremendous uh, exposure there for about, about a year and a half in a foreign country. I learned a lot of stuff, but then I had to come home. And I was telling my grandchildren a couple of days ago, it was amazing. Uh, I remember exactly 50 years ago this month, 50 years ago this month, I was sitting uh, right over where my quarters were. I was sitting, there's a little pond there, sitting in a seat there, wondering, oh, I wonder where I'm going to be 50 years from now. And here's where I am right now. But I was thinking that, and, and thinking, because, I, and because I remembered thinking, I'm going to remember this moment. I want to remember what I was saying, what I was thinking, and I, I wonder who I'm going to marry. I'm going home. I don't know where I'm going to go. Shall I go home? Shall, where will I end up? Will I, will I have children? Who's, who's my, my wife could be who I was writing to for that year and a half. It could be her. It was like we got back into contact, and now Beth was writing to me, and I was writing back. And we were getting 
kind of close with letters. We're becoming friends. And young people, be a friend first before you go any further than that. Get a friend, then go from there. With the Lord's help. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sitting there thinking, what's the future going to be for me? So um, on my way home, I went through Colorado Springs Navigator Headquarters and had some wonderful times talking to some godly men. Then I would stop in Illinois and uh, talk to the people that Kevin Dyer with Literature Crusade. They were going to have a, a team go to Pakistan. And I had sent my name into th- thinking I could go to Pakistan and be a missionary for... But things got bad over there, and it became so difficult that they, they really canceled the, canceled the whole thing. So that door closed abruptly to me on my way home. And I got home around this time of the year, this time 50 years ago, right about now, I got back home in New Jersey. And at a, at the, I remember the, New Year, the, the watch night service, I reconnected with Beth, who I hadn't seen now for about a year and a half. And that was the beginning of a, of a courtship. And in a matter of six months after that, uh, we were married. So um, my, my, through a chain of events, again, the Lord, Lord uh, planning things, I'm, I'm, I met a man at a Bible study, and he, and he heard my name. He says, Meyer, Meyer. He says, where do I hear hey, Are you related to George Meyer? I said, well, I know a George Meyer. Yeah, he said, this guy's in Florida. I said, yeah, I think I, yeah. I was a little kid, and he was, he was in fact, we have the same birthday. Only he's 13 years older than me, and he's my cousin. And Alice is related in that family, so you know who she is. And uh, our fathers were brothers. My father happened to be the last one, the youngest of the whole group. Plus, then he marries late for me in terms of I'm me. So I'm at the tail end of all these Myers. Um, so I, I listened to this man. He says, hey, I, I, he was a service master, franchise owner up in New Jersey. And he says to him, he wanted me to work for him. Well, I spent a day with him, and I decided, no, I'm not working for this guy. <laughs> then he said, what you ought to do is you ought to contact George Meyer in Florida because he's got some operation down there. He might have something for you. He knew he wasn't going to get me. So uh, my ne- I made a phone call to Florida, and George says, uh, come down. Come down. I'll, I'll uh, pay your way down. You, you, you'll pay your way back. Good deal. I'll do it. So I got on a plane. Before I got on the plane, though, this is interesting. My grandchildren have heard this before. Um, I had decided that I want to marry this lady. So we, had, we, we were in this house with a bunch of bachelors. There were five of us that were sharing this house in Montclair, New Jersey. I remember, that, I remember it yet. And uh, we were in the house. Other guys were around and so forth. But I went up to her, and she was with me, and I proposed to her. And she, and she said to me, I'll let you know. <laughs> She, he didn't say yes. He said, I'll let you know. But immediately we began to plan for the wedding. It, it, was, it was amazing. So anyway, in, in six months' time, we did get married. I got married. I got on a plane, flew to Florida. This was in March. And you can imagine Florida in March. Wonderful. I mean, I'm, I'm leaving New Jersey in the cold. Uh, all the trees are bare. I, I fly in the first time in Florida, and I'm looking around. Whoa, this is some place. This is really something. But anyway, the long and the short is I joined Service Master and started a career with them as a sales rep. Little did I know, but one of my friends who, who had uh, uh, born in, Florida, in Hollywood had, had gone up to New Jersey and stole this girl that I thought I was going to have, have a date with. Uh, his name was Jack Conlon, and you probably recognize that last name perhaps from Hollywood. And he is one of my best friends and I, one of my prayer partners. And 
about a week and a half ago, he came down and I sat with him at a restaurant and we both decided that um, if one of us dies, the other one's going to take the service for the other one. But then one of you here said to me, Pete, you want to have a backup. And he's, in fact, I think it was Mike. And I think I'm going to have to do that at some point. So anyway, um, so 50 years ago, um, I, I was 24. I'm 74 now. Came to Florida, and then it was the beginning of, of a, a different series of careers, basically, where I, I, I was learning a lot about sales. I, I have been with maybe four or five different insurance companies. I'm, I'm basically a broker right now. But during that, that journey, um, I, I, I got involved with Billy Graham Films. I was, I was doing follow-up for them. We had uh, people coming through. My wife and I, we, we started at Hollywood Bible Chapel, and we were pretty involved down there. In fact, I was too involved. What's good about you folks here is you have, you have many, many, many young men that can split the duties and they threw too much at they threw threw too much at me, and I was doing too much. I was away from my wife too often, and it really wasn't good. It wasn't good as I look back. But at the time, I was flattered, and I I was so involved, way more involved than I should have been, and I probably neglected some of the things at home that I should have been more aware of. So the Lord humbles us, He encourages us, um, and then then began some uh, some situations where I'm skipping a lot of time because my time is really flying here. Um, it wasn't just uh, two years roughly uh, no a year a year and, and their mother was born uh, her name was Elizabeth but we called her Betsy at the time and she was our firstborn and a uh, beautiful child and, uh, and then, it w- and then, then uh, her mother moved to join us so my mother-in-law joined us in our house which was probably looking back and don't say this to grandma okay <laughs> It was probably a mistake. It was, looking back, I should not have done that, and I could have made the decision. But, you know, it was easier. So sometimes easier is not better. So anyway, we, um, I, I worked as service master for about seven, eight, seven years, did very well, learned a lot of stuff. And then, then I, I became involved thinking, well, uh, I should have my own business. I was frustrated with service master for all, for all kinds of good reasons. Notwithstanding George being a very good employer and very uh, good relative, too, I, I decided to leave. So then I, I worked with a number of insurance companies and became an independent agent, basically, over the next few years. And during that time, we, we discovered Stephen came along about two years later, and so now there was two of them. And uh, uh, as, as they went through, through school, it became apparent when, when their mother was about 10 years old that this was one talented swimmer. She could really swim. And, so, of course, so, so could Stephen. And we got her involved with, with AAU swimming. And say it to say, at that particular time, without saying too much about this, I, I really exited the Christian corporate scene. I, I didn't attend church for many, many, many years. We were so involved with all this other stuff. Probably a mistake looking back, uh, but we, we had we had great family situations, uh, going everywhere with the kids uh, together a lot. Uh, yeah, I think it was good for uh, my daughter that, that she got confidence that helped her in college. Uh, it helped Stephen. They they were on teams that were very very good. In fact, they both got into water polo, and it was a good thing for them. Looking back, I probably could have been a better a better father. Looking back, a better example. And but but I didn't do that. And uh, in fact, my time is really almost gone here. 
Um, and along the way, my, 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 my father died. Later on, my mother died. And then I want to just say a couple things about some, uh, some situations where <clears throat> God was protecting me. This, uh, there was a time about maybe four or five years ago where, where uh, we were having a garage sale. I went out, out the door and, and, and I said, you know, we're waiting for people to come and they weren't coming. And I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb this tree in front of our house and cut branches. Nothing's happening anyway. So I went up in the tree and I'm cutting branches. I'm about 15 feet off the ground and the branch broke. <clears throat> and I fell and landed on my head. On my head. Of course, I have a hard head, as some of you might know. And uh, I survived. In fact, I, I got up and I was looking around and... I said, well, I, I, I guess I'm okay. In fact, there was a young man that had, had just passed me in, in the street on a bicycle. And I looked at him. As I looked at him, I fell with a saw in my hand. And then I hit, I hit, the, and I hit the cement. I didn't hit ground. I hit the cement. In fact, I had a man in disability insurance. And I, just, I said, hey, uh, you're a good friend of mine. I said, tell me, I had this case. I didn't tell him it was me. This guy falls out of the tree. His feet were 15 feet off the ground. He, he lands on his head. What do you think should happen? Oh, he's probably dead, first of all. He's got to be disabled. <laughs> got to be disabled. He said, well, who, who, who is this? I said, well, it's me. He said, you're kidding. I said, no, no. Then I got a chance to witness to him, too, at that point. But that's another story. Um, and then I had a, and he isn't here tonight, but, but uh, I was on a trip, and I forgot to mention, and my grandchildren will attest to this, my wife and I got a tremendous charge out of, out of taking grandchildren away on trips to Disney, SeaWorld, North Carolina, Tennessee, uh, as a ministry, basically. Uh, we would take one or two together based upon uh, what was going on, and it was just so enjoyable. We spent a lot of time together. But about maybe, maybe four years ago, um, being adventurous and thinking I can still do everything, I was in this river with, with Taylor, and I almost drowned. But the Lord was helping me. And, and I, I was screaming for help, which I generally don't do too often. I don't remember ever screaming for help before. And the Lord did help me, and I was able to get out of the river alive. But I, I thought for sure that I was going to drown. And then I, I can't mention this in too much detail, but there was a situation about maybe 10 years ago, no, maybe about 12 years ago, where where I had an absolute miraculous experience happen. I won't go into details because it's a sacred thing almost, and I don't need to feel like it's like I'm so worthy of what happened because I'm not. Uh, but I had uh, something I was praying about, I mean, just uh, uh, burdened and praying and, and for weeks and weeks and weeks on a particular thing. And what the Lord did for me, he answered my prayer. He answered it in such a way and, and I was praying, Lord, just do this. You've got to help me with my son. It was involved my son. And the Lord, through a series of events, he took my sight away for about five minutes where I couldn't see somebody that was as close as this, this, this pew. I saw the, the threads on the seat, but I didn't see the person. And because I couldn't see the person, that person got mad and affected my son. And my son called his mother and said, can I come home, which is what I wanted. I'm leaving a lot out for all kinds of reasons for time, first of all, but the Lord took my faith from here and I went to the clouds because I realized God can do anything. And most of us, we limit the Lord by our lack of faith. We, we do. We just don't think God can do it, or we're afraid. We're afraid to ask. 
And I remember distinctly going through that period of thinking, Lord, I've got to help my son. Lord, you, you love him more than I do. Uh, please do something to get his attention. Please, please. And if you include me in the prayer, well, that's wonderful, Lord, but please do something. And then I began to believe that he would do something spectacular because I was asking for a miracle. A miracle. And God did it in a way that I would not have imagined. Later on, my son married, and then a, one of the defining moments of, of my life also came when 11 years ago I lost my son. He was killed in a tragic accident over here at Grand Palms, and uh, that, rocked, that rocked my soul to, to, to the depths. And I realized, you know, I've been neglecting the Lord's people for a long time. I had people from Hollywood talking to me, Pete, we need you. Come back. Please come back to us. And I would turn them down. I said, I, I can't be... be, uh, be how can I help you? The Lord can't use me, really. I don't think he can use me. So I was kind of downplaying it. And uh, after my son was killed, I said, you know, I have, I, I have to go back where the Lord's people are. I've been, I was convicted about it, and, I, and I, I went back to Hollywood, and I think the Lord blessed me there. I think I was, I was, I was some good uh, when I got there, and it was about a month or so I was there, and uh, I died. I, I, they were asking, would someone teach the, uh, the young men? And I think uh, the young men is like, all right. And some of the young men, a couple of them from here, were there then. And I hope that I influenced them for the Lord. But I think that I did. So, and then at some point, I became the Sunday school superintendent. And I felt I couldn't do that job well because I, I wanted to teach the boys and not manage, you know, four or five different classes of kids. So I resigned from that. Um, there's something else I wanted to say about that, and I've just forgotten. But I guess it doesn't matter because the time is almost gone. But uh, oh, I'll say one more thing because this is this this might be. Uh, I was there about a year and I was very active, and and they were they were it was about this time of the year where they they, they have the, the the congregational meeting for the following year to pick people for the board of directors and so forth, and I was thinking well they're they're probably going to pick me for the board of directors so I'm thinking uh, okay so I'm sitting there and 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 they they're giving out these lists and my name wasn't on the list. And boy, I got aggravated. Why isn't my name on this list? Come on, what's the matter? Am I invisible? What's the matter here? So I was really annoyed sitting there in my pub and, and getting, uh, you know, convicted too. Why am I so annoyed? You know, I shouldn't be feeling this way. But I just sat there and I was, I was mad. At the end of the service, um, Bob Didhart was sitting right in front of me. Uh, he's a dear brother and he's with, the, he's with the Lord now. Good friend too. In fact, he was one who was telling me for years, Pete, will you please come back? We need you. Please come back. So then he turns to say, you know, hi, how you doing? I said, I'm not doing so well. He, 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 he said, what's the matter? I said, you know, they left my name off the list. How could they do that? Am I invisible? He said, oh, I'm, this, this is my fault. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So anyway, I had an appointment that night, actually, to see a, a client. So I'm, I'm driving away. I was still miffed. And I left. I made him feel good, though, and I left. And I'm driving along in the car, and I'm saying, Lord, this is not right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't feel this way. Lord, please, please forgive me. And then I got thinking, you know, my name wasn't written on that piece of paper. But where else do you think it's written? It's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm going to worry about a piece of paper? My name on a piece of paper? What's the matter with you? I said, oh, Lord, sorry. Forgive me. I mean, so then the following Sunday, I went back. My mind was okay. I was still a little bit, just a little bit, 
and no light still. And uh, one of the brothers came up to me and said, how, how, I mean, like, I was kind of being standoffish. I was sitting, standing, I was feeling sorry for myself, I guess, standing off to the side. And this guy sees me. He comes running. Are you, are you okay? I said, I said, well, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, and I told him. He said, oh, wait a minute. And he runs off and gets one of the elders. And they, and they ran over to me. And they said, we're so sorry that we, you know, what can we do? What can we do? Anyway, we, we, we worked it out. But the point is, um, we can get upset about stuff that doesn't matter at all in the scheme of things. And, and what I want to encourage you to do is, is uh, raise your sights. The two verses that, that I read talk about abundance, talk about abounding. And, and all of us, we can do better, better than what we've done. And, and we so often, we make it so difficult. Uh, we should be serving the Lord because we love him. We're serving out of love for him. Look what he's done for us. And he wants to do all the work. He wants the Holy Spirit to fill us. And we need to hear messages about the filling of the Holy Spirit and, and dealing with sin in our lives and confessing it and moving on and letting the Lord deal with us. And as imperfect as my life has been, you know, the Lord led me here for, for some various reasons. And I've been very impressed with, with this uh, group of, of believers. Uh, I... I I don't know most of you yet like I probably should know you. Some of the young men I was trying to compete with on, on the field a couple of weeks ago, and you made me look, look like I was really old. But uh, uh, I, I just think if, if, we, if we start to really get serious about the Lord, it's just amazing what he will do if we will just simply commit to him. So I'm, I'm not going to say do you have any questions because we don't want to go on any longer. But if you want to ask me anything else about my 72 years of living, I'll be glad to fill you in on some details. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together tonight. I just pray that some of the thoughts that have been shared might, might motivate us to do better, to trust you more, to not limit you in what you want to do in our lives. We thank you for loving us enough to go to, go to that terrible cross and to bear our sins in your own body on that horrible tree. And that you filled us with your Holy Spirit. We just pray that we might live accordingly. We pray these, all these things now and lead us home in safety tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.